I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I, too, own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. But, Dan, from the way I see things, which is usually the right way of seeing things, I don't believe the annuals count. Well, I feel like I'm in a fog about everything, because I think if the listeners listen closely, we both are suffering colds right now. But here we are, we're podcasting, you know, so uh, excuse our phlegm or snot or whatever. It's the Frogman Toadman show. Let's do it, guys. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So anyway, welcome everybody to the amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. And leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. This podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and click on the big Patreon button and then consider signing up. There's a lot of awesome things that we're doing. But today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 31, this mega-sized issue because it's actually issue 925 and 25th issues are now a thing, Mark. Well, I say now, it's been going for some time now. This issue is written by Zeb Wells. The cover artwork is by John Romita Jr., Scott Hanna, and Marcia Menez. The interior pencils are also by John Romita Jr. and Emilio Lizo with Zay Carlos. Inks by Scott Hanna and Emilio Lizo with Zay Carlos. Covers by Marcia Menez and Brian Valenza. And of course, letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. This story also features multiple backup stories featuring work from additional creatives David Lopez, KJ Diaz, Mark Bagley, John Dell, Edgar Delgado, Celeste Bronfman, Alba Glez, Elisabetta D'Amico, Craig Young, Jim Campbell, Dan Slott, Paco Medina, Eric Arseniega, Albert Montes, Kale Atkinson, Patrick Gleason, Steve Fox, Carola Borelli, and Carr Andrews. This issue was first released on August 9th, 2023. I feel like I did pretty good there. I probably butchered three or four names. 
Mark, we got a lot to talk about on this, so let's get right to your recap. Yeah, lucky us, Dan. We're both feeling under the weather, and we have the longest issue in quite some time to talk about. So let's do it. Our presence is requested. Ooh, who's their calligrapher? We're at Arthur Avenue in the Bronx, and boy, I could go for some fried galamar and gabagol right now. White Rabbit makes a Bugs Bunny reference, and Tombstone, the boss, walks in. He announces to the collected criminals in the room that his baby daughter is marrying a square, and yet none of them have bothered to RSVP. Typical New York wedding guest list with these RSVPs. Anyway, Hammerhead thinks it's not a good idea for all of them to attend, mainly because the Kingpin is on his way back out, and perhaps having every underworld character in one spot is a bad idea, especially since Fist's son, the Rose, was busted up by Spider-Man a few months ago. Tombstone likes to live on the edge and demands their presence anyway. What a father of the bride, Zilladan. The crooks agree, and Hammerhead tells them to learn the electric slide, which, true story, was on my no playlist under any circumstances at my wedding back in the day. That and the chicken dance and YMCA. So now we fast forward to the bachelorette party and some of New York's finest Karens want to know why their RSVP table isn't available at the club. As it turns out, they've been bumped by Janice Lincoln and her party of supervillains and really, who among us? Janice's law school friend Michelle is the typical square of the group, but these girls are ready to party. Meanwhile, Peter and Randy are off in Atlantic City in the world's saddest looking diner and I'm half expecting DeMiro to come in with Charles Grodin with 39 cents to their names. Back to the ladies, the party goes up another level with the arrival of Felicia and the girls have a mixed reaction to the world famous Spider-Man sidekick showing up. Michelle and White Rabbit have some snippy words and that brings us back to Peter and Randy and it sounds like no one Peter was supposed to invite to this soiree could make it and Randy's getting suspicious. Back to the girls, and they're about to get their super villain costumes. And again, back to the boys, and Randy thinks Peter pulled a Peter here and forgot to invite people or invited them at the last minute, and really, who could blame him? Peter has been spending way too much time with his best friend Norman Osborn, mourning the loss of Kamala Khan, a character so vital to Amazing Spider-Man continuity, I'm almost remiss in not mentioning it here. Back to the girls, and they're looking pretty trashed, but Janice and Felicia are aware enough to share a moment where Janice mentions part of what makes her so devoted to Randy is his commitment to wanting her to quit crime. Felicia gets a look in her eye, and that can't be a good look for her future prospects with someone that we know, right Dan? Oof. Speaking of which, Peter and Randy are hanging out at a carousel, and good thing this isn't the Central Park carousel or Frank Castle might have some wicked flashbacks and ruin Randy's bachelor party. <laughs> Randy has a heart-to-heart -heart with Peter, and he realizes Peter actually didn't screw up. His friends didn't show up because he's marrying a supervillain. Is this a redemption story for Peter? And talk about a backtrack. Send it to Tom Revoort, Dan. Randy and Peter have a special moment and bro out before deciding that riding the carousel is a big no. But somewhere off panel, these two bros are riding that thing and we'd love to see it. So Peter quietly walks away and is confronted by Felicia and they start to have the talk. Peter talks about not being a barrel of laughs lately and it sounds like someone is listening to my criticism on this show. Anyway, Felicia asks him about why he doesn't try stopping her from committing crimes anymore, and he doesn't have a good answer beyond them going through the motions. 
Well, that's something you don't want to admit to someone you're dating, and indeed, they break up. And if Mary Jane isn't waiting for him on the next page, the internet riots. Alas, a riot has commenced. Instead, it's just Randy getting jumped by Janice, and they decide to have some fun before we fast forward to the big day. And it's a who's who of the Spider-Man universe. Aunt May, Betty Brant and her demon spawn, and Hammerhead. And Hammerhead gives Peter a tip to cover his cheap tux rental. And then the rest of the Motley crew shows up and Peter understands it's not going to be a boring day. Robbie visits with Randy to give him some comfort. Some southern comfort, right? Actually, who knows what's in the flask. But man, that's a great move, Robbie. Great move. Peter's spider sense is going off, but the ceremony starts. And naturally, shotgun... An uninvited guest shows up, and I'm really racking my brain to place this character. Dan, explain it to me, buddy. Well, uh, Shotgun is a character we haven't seen in, in I, I believe, almost 30 years, at least in the Spider-Man world. I think he's a Captain America villain, first and foremost. But he showed up most prominently in the Tom DeFalco, John Romita Jr. Spider Hunt story from the 90s. If you have any fondness for Spider Hunt, which is, I think, one of those stories that kind of got lost in the midst of, like, the end of the 90s kind of mess of Spider-Man comics. But, you know, it's a Tom DeFalco story, and uh, it's got J.R.J.R. art. And I got to think maybe J.R.J.R. had some fondness for Shotgun and thought, you know, like, maybe they could reincorporate him here or something. It's a character that didn't immediately spring to my mind, I, I will admit. Gotcha. Well, you know, Dan, maybe if you had checked the solicits like you usually do, you would have you would have saw that one coming. But anyway, Tombstone Cockley stands up to shotgun thinking he's bulletproof. But oops, looks like those bullets pierced his skin. Spider-Man shows up to save Tombstone just in time. And now all hell is breaking loose. Madame Mask goes into a limo that Hammerhead conveniently blows up. While Spider-Man continues to fight Shotgun, Shotgun makes his escape by motorcycle and basically disappears into thin air, which brings us to a somber epilogue where Randy and Janice go their separate ways, and Peter reminds himself he can't make a mistake like letting his friend marry a criminal ever again. But also in this comic, Dan, as you alluded to in the intro, we got some short stories involving the resurrection of Kamala Khan, which I still won't bother to understand. We got a teaser for the new Superior Spider-Man story with Otto Octavius. We get the setup for Mary Jane becoming Jackpot and also some visuals of her sharing a bed with Paul just to make the internet truly melt down. It looks like we're getting a new Spider-Woman series that involves her trying to reunite with her baby while she was killed off for a bit by Dan Slott in her, his Spider-Man book. We also get a teaser for Spider-Boy. We got a couple of inventory stories about a crazed Spider-Man fan and stalker and ducks. The Queen Goblin and Kraven are fighting and then doing other stuff with each other. <laughs> and then, Lord have mercy on our souls. I'm not even going to entertain the last image of this book, Dan, with a description. And that's my recap. Awesome, Mark. That was, I mean, look, it's a $10 book, and that was a $10 recap. 
I think that rivals me walking everybody through the ramifications of Kindred for length uh, of explanations. You guys should be all up on things here. So I, I want to talk you know, about this not issue 925 or volume 631 kind of overall. You know, it's a $10 issue, a, a 25th issue. This has become a trend for this book. It's kind of like a yearly check-in. Really, what it reminds me of is kind of like a digest or almost like a previews mag in a way. It's like, here's what's going on with the Spider-Man line. We're wrapping up a year on this creator's run because a year is about 25 comics, you know, and they tend to time these things out that way. I think they are kind of establishing this new format for Spider-Man comics. What do you think about the $10 book? Like, and then I guess I would ask you, what do you think about this $10 book? I think to this point, um, frankly, I've kind of felt the $10 book was a bit of a cash grab because what you described about what those books, what those books are, I felt was the case for this book, but isn't always the case for the other book, or maybe it is, but it, it not as amplified as this one is. I mean, that's the thing. Like, like, let me let me start by your second question. I thought this was for a ten dollar book about as much value as you could ask for. I mean, we got a very entertaining full length main story, and then all of the 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 B stories, if you will, were all previewing. I would think major storylines and and new series and mini series that we're gonna get that have had have already been hyped. You know, Superior, the Spider Boy. I mean, nothing I necessarily want to see a Spider-Boy series, but we know it's coming and it's good to get a teaser in here. I didn't realize that Jessica Drew was coming back with perhaps her own book uh, or or at least she's going to be featured in something at some point. Even the true inventory stories had a little bit of appeal to them. There was some fun to it. Um, they were kind of harmless uh, annual backup type stories. There was just a lot of creator value here. A lot of good people worked on this book throughout start to finish. It wasn't just like, you know, the the A crew on the main story and then just like 30 people you've never heard of before doing the rest of the book. I mean, if this is what Marvel's truly committed to doing with these books, I can justify sucking it up and, and buying the $10. They actually have one of the like, you know, one in two variants at my LCS. I thought it was the, uh, I guess the George Perez cover. And I really like that. So I, gra I grabbed that one. Can't go wrong with George Perez. If this is what they want to do. It's great. If they're going to do like kind of, I'm thinking back to like during like, was it last remains or whatever? Like they, they, they did a jumbo one and like that, that just didn't feel like it, it, it landed the way this one did in terms of like offering up what's on the horizon, not just in ASM, but all throughout the line. I don't think that the line comes across as particularly cohesive in this in this issue. It's a little all over the place, which I think is fine. You know, like like like, you know, you get stuff like Spider-Man Rain, the book that won't say its name uh, or Mark won't dare say its name. You know, like that's not even a 616 story. So it does feel really kind of thrown in at the end here. And I'm not complaining because I'm really looking forward to that book, you know, and I think you know, they've had, you know, Carr Andrews doing stuff in Amazing Spider-Man. And, you know, I think it was a way to reintroduce him to, uh, you know, Spider-Man audiences to that they could ultimately announce this thing and build up the hype for it. Uh, and so, like, I'm not particularly upset about 
it feeling uh, disjointed because I did feel like every story was fun to read. And I know ultimately like the, a lot of these are going to dovetail. You know, we've got gang war coming up. The main story set that up. I know Spider-Woman's book is going to launch out of that. You know, it requires a little bit of me knowing stuff. But, like, every story was, uh, like, beautifully illustrated, well-written, and entertaining to read. And that's not always the case for these. You know, I like the presentation of it, too. You get these books with the nice spine. You know, like I, I felt like in terms of production quality... You know, we've dinged this book, you know, in the past for, you know, having like, you know, coloring errors and stuff. And there's some things here, like there's a whole scene where Peter has blue eyes and it's like, no, Peter doesn't have blue eyes. But like that is much smaller than anything we've dinged it for in the past. And like, so I think the overall quality of how this was assembled was really, really solid. You know, as you were talking, I, I, I was almost thinking to myself, like, this felt like an issue one, but the 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 comic historian in me appreciates that, you know, rather than just reboot the whole series and do a volume seven, we got a 25 instead. If it, you know, so, you know, whatever. I'm picking nits here, but it, it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, it's really the kickoff to year two on Zeb's run. And I, like uh, my overall feeling about this book, and we'll get into the details, is I think that he took a lot of the criticisms I've had of year one on his title and he either like brings them to an end or like pushes them in a new direction that like kind of course corrects like stuff that I didn't really dig in the first year. Now, whether that ends up being good is to be seen, you know, but like this kind of felt like a, it felt like a number one in that it was like, no, this is like the new like landing point for where the book is going to focus. And I really, feel like it was on much more solid ground Uh, as much as I've loved his first elements of his first year. This felt much more confident uh, as like a leading book of this line of books. I do still think it's weird that Dan slot is here doing whatever it is he's doing in the back of this book. You know, I don't really think it threatens Zeb's run in any way, but like it does feel focused on something entirely different than what Zeb is interested in doing. And maybe that's a good thing. Like, you know, um, but it, it is weird. Like, even the writing style feels much more old school. And so it creates this kind of weird, almost like tonal dissonance. Yeah, I, I, I really, overall really enjoyed this story. I mean, to be totally frank, Dan, I think like, and, and this goes back to your earlier point about the cohesiveness of everything here. But I think like, given the amount of content that, seems to be slated to come be coming down the pipeline here. I think if all these things did intricately tie together in a significant way, well, yeah, that would be the more artful thing to be doing. But from just a sheer consumer standpoint, I don't know if I could take that, you know, like that kind of brings me back to, you know, early mid nineties with like, you know, the clone saga and even like maximum carnage and stuff like that, where it was just like, you know, if you wanted to to keep up with what was happening in Spider-Man, you just had to consume everything and consume it in real time. And we're we're super fans, so we buy the bulk of this stuff anyway. But like, you know, I I got to be honest, like 
the only book I truly read day one is ASM and everything else like I, I get to when I get to. And sometimes I read it within a few days. Sometimes I read it within a few weeks. Sometimes I read it within a few months. And that's fine because it's all kind of operating independently of each other and I can enjoy it when I need to enjoy it. So there you go. I do find it curious that like, you know, I think the only time that it's ever really worked with everything under the same umbrella operating that way is like during the superior era. And that's because that really like allowed people to play with the like the high concept of it. Like the team up books were just like evil Spider-Man teaming up with someone. Right. And like it felt inherently cohesive in, in, in that way. What I thought was interesting is, you know, uh, what had made the first year cohesive on this title was like even like the Red Goblin book and like Misery and all these books that like I had no anticipation for picking up have found themselves cohesively tying into the Norman Osborn story who doesn't appear in this book at all. I thought that was interesting. And, um, you know, solicits might have us believe that that might be coming to an end relatively soon but I, I did find it interesting that we didn't really get much of Norman Osborn here the last thing I want to ask you about before we get into like specific element to the book is we've had a lot of wedding issues in, in the past or even like hopeful wedding issues you know whether it be like Betty Brandt you know and and Ned Leeds or Peter and Mary Jane yeah yeah is this the best wedding issue because I kind of think it is you're going to laugh at me, but no, I, I I I think the best wedding issue is annual 21. And, you know, that's that's, you know, that's where I come from. But like, yeah, I, I um you know, both it, I mean, talk about a double knock here. I'm, I'm it's both an annual and it's Peter and MJ. And I'm so anti-marriage of the two of them. Right, Dan. So, uh, but no, I think that <laughs> I think that that was in terms of fan service, the ultimate payoff. But I would say like of 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 a non of the non titular character, this is the best uh, wedding issue to appear in ASM. Yeah, I think it's less like cohesive as a, its own thing than like say like Amazing Spider-Man six hundred. I kind of think this one really nailed the like wedding vibe. So let's get into that. This book, you know, it doesn't open with it, but the bulk of it is these two dueling, you know, bachelor and bachelorette parties. What'd you think of these stories? I actually would love to start with the bachelor party because like that, this was, you know, to go back to the first arc of the Zeb Wells run where, you know, the, the, the AKA the famous swerve with, you know, Peter and the Rose and, and tombstone, like the bachelor party, the way this was all being set up, like, I, I got to be honest, as I'm reading this page by page and, and you know, we see it unfolding and it's it, it just seems abundantly clear. Peter messed up again. And like, like there was a part of me that was just like, oh, God, like, are we going to do that? Like another year? Of the, you know what I mean? Like, like can, can can we please have the main character of this book be someone that I want to root for and not be just, you know, like we understand why Peter always lets his, these people down. I know that's part of his story, but like, it just felt like it's been really been, you know, since the beginning of last year, really piling on. Zeb completely pulled the rug out from under us and was like, actually, no, Peter did the right thing here. And it was just Randy's friends that kind of like flaked out. And like, when that swerve became revealed, like everything about this book really started to click for me. And when I went back and reread it, I, I enjoyed 
the other stuff with Janice and the bachelorette party and some of the other setups a lot more because like I was less guarded because I knew like, okay, they're, they're, they're letting, they're letting Peter be okay here, you know, like, um, and so, so I, 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 you know, not, not to jump around sequentially, but I felt like that was just important to get out front that once that, that little literary trick was revealed Frankly, it just like sh elevated the book significantly for me and or this story specifically uh, was elevated um, a lot for me. And I, I was very impressed with how Wells was kind of playing with what our expectations were going to be. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, too. And it's funny, you know, uh, not to bring Twitter into this, but like there were a number of people like posting the image of Peter, like saying how much like how much he screwed up without any context being like, look at how they're making Peter look like a miserable, you know, wimp. And it's like, no, like that's the whole idea because he's going to subvert it. Like way, way to tell on yourself for not reading the comic. Yeah. I, I thought I liked all of that. I love the little details too. Um, you know, whether it's the reference back to the, the cheese that's living in their fridge, you know, um, from the, the Jenkins run, or the like reference to Josh Kitling. It's just the first time we've heard of Josh Kitling in 50 years from the, the, the crisis on campus issues. I, I thought the art here was really stellar. Like just the way it was cinematically arranged close ups, the glow of the carousel. But I have one big problem with this Mark and you might tell me it's silly, but almost 400 issues ago, we had the exact same story in a Spider-Man comic and not an obscure Spider-Man comic. I'm talking about Amazing Spider-Man 583, probably the most read modern Spider-Man comic because it's the, Ob the Obama issue. And if you don't remember that story, in that story, Peter is assigned to throw a birthday party for Betty Brandt. And he shows up and no one else shows up and Betty unloads on him until and he takes it until it's ultimately revealed no he did reach out to everybody and he did plan this party but betty had so trashed her relationships that nobody wanted to show up and it's beat for beat identical to this story and you know zeb who was a part of the brand new day trust at the time when that comic it, it's like i can't say that he's recycling this story, this Mark Wade story. Um, but it's so similar and, and granted it was almost 400 issues ago. Maybe like I'm the only one that remembers it, but it was a really big million selling comic, you know, it's just like, it, like, it, you know, if I read this, if this was proposed to me, I would probably have immediately flagged like, Hey, we already did a story like that. And maybe I'm being too sensitive to it. You know, we can repeat stories and stuff. And it still worked for me on the page here. But the whole time I was reading it, I was like, haven't I already read this story before? And I don't know, maybe my history is doing me in, you know? I mean, I was going to say, I mean, like, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, like, I, I, I can be quite a stickler and a nerd about history and continuity. And like, until you just brought it up, it got lost. I, I, I didn't. I didn't feel it as much. And I think I'll defend it or no prize it or however you want to say it on, on, on a couple of levels. I mean, one, the first thing 15 years ago is a long time ago. I mean, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, I mean, it's only 
only plus five for our podcast, Dan. But um, but 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 you know, like in terms of generations of readers, like you know, like there are people reading this book right now that weren't even born when that that story came out. So you know, this just just sit on that for a second. Cringe. I know. I'm I'm sorry. How about this? They weren't reading yet when that story came out. Okay, and fair. That makes me feel, feel a little, little bit better. better. Yeah. Okay. There you go. But like on top of that, like I would say. The pr- primary difference was this was this this storyline was a piece of a larger narrative that was going on that was really like, I mean, yes, it was kind of just bouncing back and forth between these two parties. But like like that Betty Brant birthday party was the fo- that was the, you know, the focus of that story. That was the focus of the A story. And, and this it, there was just a lot happening. So like. Yeah, it'd be nice if you could just kind of come up with a more original. You can probably be a little sneakier about it when you're when you're doing it in the context of lots of other things. You know, you had the meeting of the of the 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 bosses or the the maid men or whatever you want to call it, and and you had Janice and her stuff, and you kind of had Felicia and Peter and what's happening there, and 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 it, it could distract you from the fact that you were kind of getting a side story beat for beat with something we've gotten 15 years earlier. So that's, that's all I'll say to that. And, and I'll say like, I think the execution on it is way better here than it was in, in that comic, which is a comic I actually really like, you know, it's n- known for the, uh, the Obama thing, but it's got, you know, it had that other cut. The main cover was like the Ramita cover. Like it was a, it was a pretty, you know, wonderful issue um, in its own right. You're, you're leading me to the next thing that I loved about this opening and this first half of the book is just the thought that went into designing this comic to be a comic. I thought was wonderful. Like all of the page turns were great. You know, the flipping back and forth between these two groups and the like setup of like, man, I bet, you know, Randy's burning down the house, turn the page there, you know, as lame as you expect it, you know? So like, you can do that in filmmaking, like in a cut, you know, right? Like, but like there is something uniquely comic book about this story that I really loved pinging between these two, you know, art styles and color changes and the way the pages were laid out. Like, I just thought this was a beautifully told story overall. So, you know, wh- whether or not it was rehashed, it's only in hindsight that I was like, wait a minute. That's the exact story we got, because while I was reading it, I was very enthralled in what was going on. So let's talk about the bachelorette party. You said it like worked better for you on a second read. Yeah, well, I, I, I think because of the way the story was kind of ping ponging, like I, I I felt more guarded on it on the first read because I was waiting for Peter's screw up to fully capsize. And, and once I kind of knew that wasn't going to be the case, I guess I wasn't thinking of amazing Spider-Man 583 to go back to, you know, one of my classic criticisms from a few months ago on this show, Dan, where's the joy. I mean, those sequences were, were filled with joy, you know, like it was just silly and fun, but not like, Nothing about it felt too goofy. I mean, there were certainly some jokes in the B stories that we we can maybe discuss later in terms of maybe not being the best landed jokes. But like, I felt like, like you know, in addition to just how, as you just mentioned, the book was set up to be funny and how it sequenced and progressed. 
Like they're just like, you know, some some good lines and visual gags here. You know, Lady Octopus is kind of just out in the open being being her fun self. You know, we get an appearance from uh, Kareem here, dropping a couple of lines. I mean, like it, it's 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 fun stuff. You know, the, the joke from White Rabbit to Michelle about like what I don't I don't trust anything that goes to school for eight years or something like that. It doesn't I mean, die. Know. Yeah, I thought yeah, that was yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just some good one-liners, some good visual gags, some good sequential art sequencing. All led to a lot of a lot of joyful reading, uh, which of course would set up the dramatic turn of the second half of the book. But this was fun stuff. I, I don't know what what how else I can articulate it beyond that. It's it was just fun stuff. This is this is the kind of fun stuff I like in comics. I don't know what the division of the art. Uh, was on this like Emilio Lizo is is credited you know in, in this but so is like uh, Zay Carlos so I don't know who is their styles are very similar I think uh, Zay Carlos did the Peter and Randy story and Emilio Lizo d- did this one and I loved the art in this I thought it was really fun and playful you said a lot of good like physical humor the page turn of like the group of Karens getting thrown behind Lady Octopus was really funny and her like superiority complex just like any octopus character was great but I really love the designs of their like pre-costume outfits like how they incorporate a little bit of electros electricity into the dress just a visually really fun thing. And then, you know, on Zeb, I thought, what a brilliant way to bring Peter and Felicia back into this and have, like, the mirror set up of Randy and Janice's relationship, you know, between, like, you know, a normie and, you know, this supervillain, you know, mirroring Peter and Felicia's relationship. Like, that's a observation from a writing level that I did not see like coming and found actually really clever and thoughtful how you know I'm curious to hear what you think about the breakup so moving on from these parties you know we we leave Felicia has this kind of moment of realization and goes to meet Peter outside of his apartment and uh, they kind of like you said in intro suggests that they're going through the motions. And I've seen some criticism of this scene. I'm curious to hear what you thought about it. Well, I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, and look, if you're uh, a, a amazing spider talk, long timer here, you can get your bingo card out or, or your drinking game going. I kind of felt from the first place that this relationship was kind of attached like with a rivet gun to this book. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, like, what is this? Oh, okay. There to get, I mean, you know, we had MJ and Paul. So like, Naturally, we have to pair Peter with somebody and let's give him back to Felicia. And like, not for nothing, I think I think this was Zeb. I, I, I remember emailing or talking to somebody for the 100 Things Spider-Man book. And, you know, he was kind of like, oh, it's always more fun when when Peter and Black Cat are together. So either way, like whatever that quote was, like all those years ago when they started dating again, I was like, oh, so that's where this is coming from. It's like this like, oh, let's get it. Let's let's give this one more go. And it's like, meh it didn't work in the first place. Like for me, like it felt like it was going through the motions. I mean, you know, the, the, the infamous, uh, you know, two parter in the, in the, at the ski lodge or whatever is still like in terms of, and I know that wasn't Zeb, that was um, Joe Kelly, but like, you know, that, that was some of the most 
bizarrely written comic books that we've read in the last few years just in terms of the description of that relationship. So I, I don't know if this is a course correction necessarily, but like this was never written like it was going to go anywhere anyway. And it was always written, I, I, you know, like, I don't know if this is some kind of response to fans about MJ being with Paul and thus, you know, trying to soften the blow and then maybe just not caring anymore about that. Or again, they just wanted to toy with something for a few issues. And now that, you know, we're, we're past the, 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 the dead language arc, we can just move on from it. I don't know, but either way, like, yes, I do think it's a good parallel how they set it up and got into it. It made, you know, it's probably the most thoughtful thing that they've done about the, the this pairing since they've gotten back together. But like, I'm not sitting here being like, oh no, what what am I going to do without this? Because like this relationship kind of meant nothing for, to me for the last few months, if I'm being completely blunt here. Yeah, I, I honestly think that this scene takes the meta conversation around this book, which is like, what are we doing? And puts it into the text, you know, whether that was intended all along, like, you know, or not, like it could have been handled better. Like the the obvious thing is it's like Peter trying to move on from MJ and falling back into kind of old patterns. And like, I believe that I would believe that. But I, I feel like the kind of scrambled nature of the reveal of the first year and the timeline there being all out of order you know, really did not set us up to understand Peter's mindset. And like rereading the first 26 issues, I think it does make a lot more sense. Like what's going on in Peter's mind after this devastating blow of finding out that MJ, you know, is with somebody else and, you know, he needs to find someone, but it's not written that way. And so for me, this scene was like about as good as you could do to kind of wrap this up and acknowledge one, it's not working, whether but in in the context of the story and as a reader, that like to kind of recontextualize what we saw before, which is like Felicia was a rebound, you know, and she does not want to be a rebound. She wants a relationship, and that's consistent for the character. So um I thought it was a well written scene, even if the lead up to it didn't really like sell us on this relationship. At least it's like, Hey, I'm going to undo this and I'll make it into a strength rather than a weakness. And, you know, I, I respect any writer that like can see something not working and try to make something good out of it. And so in the context of this issue, I thought it worked. Let's talk a little bit about the big day here. Um, you know, we're back to JRJR um, on pencils here you know, we, we, we have Peter kind of awkwardly ushering and, and getting mocked by Hammerhead for his cheap tucks, which is, you know, classic Peter. You know, like, as this is all unfolding, the spider sense going off, like, you just, like, look, it's like, you know, the classic, you know, classic comedy. You, you bring out a big giant size birthday cake and someone's either jumping out or going into it. It's like you have a wedding and a superhero comic book. All hell's going to break loose. It's just how it's going to happen. So, like, you're just sitting there. I, I'm sitting here this whole this whole sequence, like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? I mean, how was your mood throughout this? Well, it's almost daring you to, like, lean back into your, like, old tropes about, like, comic book marriages, right? Like, it's, like, it's never been this stack. And so, 
like you get the moment of Peter being like, oh, like all that melted away and there's just Janice and Randy and they're in love. And part of me was like, they might actually do this. Like it might be a piece. Like I know it's not going to be, but like, you know, like it was, I felt like the comic was like daring me to disbelieve that they would do a big brawl at the wedding. And of course it's going to go down when you get all those people there. But the setup was really funny. I thought the kind of prelude scene of them with Tombstone was pretty effective uh, in kind of establishing the stakes and what they know about uh, his kind of rule over all these other gang lords. Yeah, I mean, the the Randy and Robbie scene was appropriately touching and, and a, like, light enough touch, although it makes me doubt Robbie's judgment in that he trusts Randy's judgment of women because, like, has anybody ever had, like, more bad luck with women than Randy? I mean, what about the one who, like, you know, left his love of his life in a dimension where time sped up? I mean, that's pretty bad luck. That's fair. Uh, that's and, fair. Uh, anyway, no. Um, it was, dare I say, a little cliched, but also, like, the right kind of cliche that I would expect from from the Robertson family. You know what I mean? Like, of course, he's like, hey, and I'm a cool guy, too, because I'm giving you a little booze for my flask. And it was like, like I said, it was it, it, it made me smile, even if it was just kind of like, I don't want to say expected, but just like, oh, of course, like, like you said, everything is being set up. And like, you're thinking, ah, maybe they're just going to do it. And this was like definitely one of those moments like, maybe they're just going to do it. But if not, this would be the kind of moment that they would have before they wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Like, so... I, 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 I love any scene where Peter gets to interact with the Spider-Man cast, you know, or like villains, but as Peter and they don't recognize him. We got that in like, what, issue one of this run where Peter gets into the limo with Tombstone and like, I, I just, I love that like we can still have fun with the secret identity in 2023 as so few characters you know still have that i mean this was exactly what i wanted and i've kind of wanted from this book in a while which is like a really nice balance i mean spider-man is barely in this title this is a peter dominant book and i i really appreciated all of that um you know we got this new character michelle um that was introduced in the bachelorette party and like they go out of their way to like introduce her to Peter in some way, which makes me think like new supporting cast character in, in, in some way, because why spend that page on that? It seems to me from JRJR's art that, that she's actually Asian, which is a nice change of things. Like the last Asian cast member that we got was Shashan, who I don't really think is the best representation for Asian characters ever. Um, people have been speculating, like, is this a new love interest? I honestly think it's too early. And really, that's probably a condemnation of, like, the title overall that we can't introduce a female character and have her not be a potential love interest for Peter. For a character that could have disappeared after the Bachelorette thing, it was interesting that, like, they brought her back. I, I don't know if there's anything to speculate about it, but it, it is interesting that this new character has suddenly showed up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I got to be honest. I didn't think too, too much about the Peter and her, and, and Michelle interaction. But, you know, like, I guess it's better than the last Michelle he was with, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to make sure it wasn't that Michelle. Well, you know, I, I had that moment, too. I was like, wait, is this? No, it's not. 
you know, as everyone predicted, uh, a double uh, page, or was it? A, I'm trying to remember. It was double page uh, splash, but just right? a single a page, single page oh, splash. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember my vertical versus hori- uh, horizontal here. Anyway, shotgun. <laughs> as we, as you so wonderfully detailed in our recap, uh, you know, from the Spider Hunt era. I actually shared that comic on my Instagram feed recently and not even realizing I was being like current about it. Honestly, I just grabbed it. And was like, <laughs> oh, this is a fun one I haven't talked about. I was kind of a little confused by the mechanics of the bullets and like, why are these going through? There's a lot happening here and it was all really riveting and fun stuff. But like, I feel like you're going to just go to town with speculation here. So maybe I should just turn the mic over to you about what's happening here, Dan. Cause like, yeah, this I, is just I don't the know kind that of- I'm, I'm going to go to town. I mean, really this is the kickoff to gang war and there's going to be a ton of different parties with all vying for their own interests. And I think you kind of see that play out here, which is like, you know, this could be all one orchestrated hit on tombstone, but the more likely thing seems to be like all these different people all had their own individual plans, you know, to, to enact during this thing. Um, as for the shotgun like appearance, I really loved the page before he appears where it's like this solemn moment of like tombstone handing, you know, this firm grip on Janice's arm, handing her over to Randy you know, intercut with Peter's spider scent and then the splash page. I thought it was a really effective reveal. I, I thought the the action with shotgun was a blast. The Peter making fun of like being the HR representative and his new boss was really funny. As for like the special bullets and all that stuff, like that pierced tombstone skin, like to me, it just seems like it was an orchestrated hit on tombstone and shotgun says it's much like you thought you had all the cards but, you know, one person can't see everything, you know, and this was some or- organized hit. You know, we see it later when Shotgun just flat out disappears on a motorcycle. So someone was there to pick him up. The The most interesting thing is that, like, he refers to, like, a big boss or whatever. And, you know, earlier in the book, they tease, like, Kingpin coming back into town. But I don't really think that that's what's happening, given that like Kingpin has a prominent place in the X-Books right now because he's living on Krakoa. What, the thing that I was most interested in is Hammerhead's mysterious date, you know, because like they make a big point of like, what's your name? And he's like, she doesn't have a name, you know, and like maybe she's just like a prostitute. But like, I don't think so. Like when when he puts her in the car and says, like, I told you I'd show you a good time. Like my immediate suspicions is like, that's the big boss. Like she's just incognito, you know, and she's pulling the strings in some way. Who that is, I don't know. I like if I were to have to guess, like based off this issue, I do find it curious that Madame Mask was just like unceremoniously just blown up in a car and like that's an easy thing to fake you know some person with a mask on you put some other body in the car and madam mask gets to fake her death i I don't know if she could like the state of her current face that she could walk around with just shades on and not be identifiable as like someone with a really messed up face but like that would be the kind of switcheroo that i could see zeb writing in here Carlos in the slack positive theory that it's like Felicia working undercover, but that's too much of a quick turnaround for, for me. 
like to see her do that and and I don't think it's motivated uh by like her breaking up with Peter that does those seems uh, unrelated so but my theory right now is like whoever this big boss is it's this woman the Tamerheads date does that track for you Mark or it's connected I mean like you know the fact of the matter is like shotgun basically like disappeared which leads me to believe that whoever is kind of pulling all the strings here might have some semblance of powers or like a car that's like off site that he got his bike in or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. But I mean, like, I don't know. Like I, I got uh, my read of it was like, he, it was just kind of like a thin air disappearance. I mean, it wasn't like, I, um, and you know, I, I, I like your theory, frankly, about Madam mask, but like to that point, like, you know, could, could this, whoever this person be like, you know, create some kind of cloaking thing for her face or something. You know what I mean? Like it's just, there, there's a lot that could be happening here and maybe it's the same one and the same, or maybe it's something else that, you know, pulling the strings. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Lord knows I'm always great at making predictions on this book. Uh, as <laughs> hey, are you, you, Dad. you, you guessed who Kindred was, even if it didn't seem like that big of a reach. I, I was still ultimately wrong, I think. But anyway, I guess. I guess. Um, who who yeah. knows? My only real ding for this story, this main story overall, other than like the issue 583 thing, is that like um, as a chapter, I still think it feels a little bit incomplete. Like the Randy uh, Janice kind of like ending where they're kind of on opposite sides of this like gang war or whatever you want to call it. Like their wedding is called off. Like. I get why, like, he kind of put faith in her to not have her family screw this up for him. But it does seem a little cold, and I feel like as a reader, I didn't really understand fully why the characters abandon each other in that final moment in the comic. And I feel like if you were going to end this chapter on, like a, like, a solid note, like, that would have been a nice way to end it. It's, like, for me to really know, like conclusively like w like why this didn't work with Randy and Janice because uh, everything else seems to me like to be like that they would have empathy for each other's families getting killed and or potentially or whatever and so that was the one thing I felt like oh it didn't stick the landing on like making me understand why they're acting this way yeah I mean I again will will attempt to justified a little bit and saying that like you know i i was getting a lot of i was getting a big shame vibe from the two of them at towards the end there like shame you know shame on her end that it all went to hell shame on randy's end that like you know his his big move to kind of prove his you know independence and and intelligence not intelligence but you know like ability to make a grown-up decision you know backfired you know you know, in front of his dad and, and they just were kind of like running away with their tail between their legs. I mean, yes, you would also think there'd be empathy there, but like, I, you know, like, I don't know. I don't think Tombstone is going to be dead. And if he is, there is no body yet. So I, you know, it's more just like, uh, you know, let's go back and regroup and there'll probably be some kind of more meaningful confrontation in a future chapter of this storyline, I would imagine. So, Absolutely. All right. That's it for the main story here. Mark, why don't you tell everybody about our Slack? Well, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join and you can jump into active conversations 
with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, more. I mean, I know people like to just tag me randomly in the Slack to get me to come out of the woodwork like once a week or once a month. I don't think I saw that before we came on this show, Dan. I don't think anyone's kind of tagged me recently, but what else is going on in the Slack this week? Yeah, well, I mean, this was kind of a big week for, like, uh, Marvel news. Uh, you know, friend of the show, Tom Brevoort, made an announcement uh, via his newsletter, which, if you're not signed up for Tom Brevoort's newsletter, it's often the highlight of my week, uh, reading him, like, respond to questions and things like that, and giving real nice behind-the-scenes, uh, you know, knowledge about, uh, like, what's going on at Marvel. Um, it, there's a really n- nice amount of transparency there, but... He was teasing something, and it came out this week that he's moving from Avengers, where he's been for, what, 15 years on Avengers titles? Yeah. 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 I, well, or longer. I mean, I yeah. feel like he goes back to the Bendis New Avengers era, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. So, so we're, um, looking, we're talking like 20 years now. Yeah, and, and oversaw some really monumental stories. I mean, Secret Wars and you know Jonathan Hickman and all that stuff. Um, so he's moving over to the X-Books now, which are wrapping up their really momentous big story in the Krakoa era. You know, and it's funny because Tom admits, like, I don't really know much about the X-Men. And frankly, that's exciting to me, if only because I feel like that line has become so complicated and confusing that maybe someone who's not from that realm of X-Men can really find a way to invite new readers in you know I, I say new readers I've been reading every title of X-Men for like 15 years and I, I'm no closer to understanding all of it anyway I find that promising and I find Tom an interesting guy and, and comics historian and uh, editor and so that was cool news and everybody in the slack was talking about it and maybe it signals like greater shakeups at Marvel like you know maybe they're going to do a musical chairs of who is taking on what books and and things like that um tom says it's not happening for a while but anyway what do you you have any thoughts about tom uh, making that change i don't know if i have like hardcore thought i mean i what i would say without insinuating anything else about our own books is that i i feel creatively not just writers and illustrators but also editor i i feel like it's good to change things up, um, you know. Like I, I, if if I if I may really vamp about the real world for a second. When I was working for a newspaper, you know, we all got assigned a beat that we covered. It was like our assigned coverage area in terms of a topic, and people, uh, no one was allowed to work a beat for more than like two years because they felt like you would basically, as a reporter, get stale. Uh, doing the same thing and the same kinds of stories over and over again. Like you were you were encouraged to change it up. Obviously, we just said like it's been almost 20 years that Brevoort's been on the Avengers book. That's a really long time. I mean, like even if he was, you know, yes, he did some monumental stuff. It was the time having the time of his life. You know, I think it's good for Brevoort. It's good for Marvel to change that up much sooner than that, frankly. Um, and I could think of maybe a few other editors that have been in their spaces for a really long time that maybe they should be changed up too for the same reason. I mean, I mean, like, you know, on that note, like Avengers as a title has kind of been stagnant since Secret Wars. You know, like uh, I know people are enjoying the Jed McKay run. I've not read it yet. You know, I, I feel like it's kind of been all over the place, you know, and nothing is really stuck in the same way it did 
in his earlier years on the title. So, you know, like you said, shake up is good. And everybody was talking about it in Slack and about their hopes and, and dreams for what Marvel can look like when such a major figure gets shuffled around. I mean, like, he's not the editor-in-chief, but only because he doesn't want to be. You know, like, and so Tom's a big name. So anyway, if you want to join in on the conversation about this topic and many others, come join our amazing Slack. There's a link in the description of this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute. Hop on in, say hello, and uh, everybody will welcome you. It's a very fun community. All right, Dan, do we want to kind of rifle through the the remaining stories and sidebars of this of this mega book here? Yeah, let's go through these pretty quickly. You know, there are a lot of mini micro backups and some, I think, more effective than others, starting off with this uh, Miss Marvel one. Boy, Whiplash, she's alive again. It's been a month and a half and she's back. Talk about like anticlimactic and kind of a waste of a of a character death. That's all I'm gonna, I, I, like. I mean, the, the Marvel's movie's not coming out. So what? November, right? Uh, uh, I mean, I at least would have thought like October at the, uh, you know, and even then when I was looking at the calendar, I was like, wow, they're only going to like kill her off for like four or five months. All right. I mean, I guess it seems kind of crazy. Like, wow. Like that, 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 that's just, that just left a bad taste in my mouth. Even though I knew it was inevitable, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. I, I'm not really sure like, like what the culprit is here, you know, like, uh, in that regard, like they're trying to like time up the X books and the Spider-Man books, I think in this regard. And I think the Spider-Man books got the bad end of the deal, you know, like, cause she, she reappears in, you know, the hellfire gala issue. And she's like a major part of that issue, at least for the first half of it. The one that came out just a couple weeks ago. And you know, it seems like it was all timed around that in some way. And it's just like, you know, this, whatever, whatever this inner office plan was, I don't think really paid off the way that they wanted it to. As for this, uh, I thought it was like cute and touching and added a little bit more of like drama and heart to the events that happened in issue 26. Like it doesn't redeem it, but like I thought it was at least, well-written and, you know, and, and touching moment between the two characters, you know, and, and the whole, like, you know, you were a hero and there's some kind of like a retcons like, Hey, you shapeshifted because it must've meant a lot to you. Not that we forgot that you couldn't shapeshift as a power. The thing that really like launched out of this and made big splashy stuff on the internet was this, like, I would consider it a very bad meta joke about, the kid who collects Spider-Man where basically Spider-Man says like, he's going to reveal his identity to Miss Marvel. And it's just like, I usually reserve this for, you know, kids on their deathbeds, terminal, terminal diseases or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was not, not, not great, Bob. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I will say it's be- like, I, I get the meta joke that like, that's a s- story that happens frequently. Like we just had in the past couple of years, in the Zdarsky run and the King run, you know, like two stories back to back almost of like Spider-Man spending time with a terminally ill kid. And I get that that's a trope, but like it does break the universe to have Spider-Man be like, make a joke about it. Like, cause those moments would have meant a lot to him regardless of whether we, as the readers go again, a terminally ill kid. So I thought not a, not a uh, not a shining moment of 
in a book that otherwise has great humor. Yeah, I mean, I could I could comment on the fact that, and I don't know, did we ask? <laughs> I'm asking you on our own podcast. Did we did we ever confirm with with Ron? Is Kid Who Collects considered like six one six continuity? I mean, I think Dan Slott made it six one six continuity. Well, what I was about to say was, yeah, like I don't like I have a hard time sometimes just seeing that story as being part of the main continuity. Like not that it like is an Elseworld story or anything like that, but it just feels like it's just this own it's 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 a writing exercise by Stern that is beautifully rendered by Ron Friends and it's a wonderful story in that regard, but like, I don't feel, and it, and it says so much about Spider-Man. It doesn't, you know, it, 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 like it doesn't need to be part of the same universe where he's fighting Doc Ock and, and Norman Osborn. That's the bottom line for me. So like, yeah, it, it, it just kind of really, really doubled down the awfulness of a joke that like, you know, and yes, I know that, you know, Tim Harrison shows up and was it 700 or one or one of the, you know, uh, men, one of the many floating guilty heads of, you know, shame and, you know, for Spider-Man stories that Dan Slott did. Yeah, it was just it was just a poor joke. I mean, like, I got to be honest, I know you 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 found some positives to this one story. I I really did not care for it. It's just like, you know, again, just the 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 very sudden reappearance of Kamala here is just very off-putting this, the, the, you know, it's like, we're going to, we're going to smile and be happy now. And it was just like, like we just came off of a story that is still quite fresh where like this character was involved, you know, this character was involved in one of Spider-Man's darkest moments. Then her death was like, kind of like added to the darkness, darkness of it. And this is, this was just like a, I don't know. Just this felt like a smile to me, to me, in terms of like, ah, you know, like, 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 no, no, we're all good, and I'm, I'm going back to the X Men, and it's just like, ah, uh, this is weird. I don't, I, I didn't, I, 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 I found some of the follow ups to this to be far more entertaining, and we'll get to that short in a second. But like this, this kind of like. You know, again, I was grooving on the first main story and then this kind of took me out of it. And then it took the other stories to kind of get me back on board on this comic. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I won't defend the 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 macro choice, you know, like I think in in isolation, I was like, OK, at least we're going to acknowledge this and have a nice moment between the two of them. And I do think it's good that they know each other's identities like they're they are a pair that I think fits really well together if there wasn't a miles morales who they're kind of doing nothing with in regards to peter like i do think like having kamala be mentored by peter in some way has a lot of potential and maybe knowing each other's identities will set some of those stories up yeah i'm not gonna like it is it is a really bad move on a macro level to do this to this character but i was at least like okay at least this felt more honest to me than Peter's like mourning her with a mask in his hand at the in, uh, you know in issue twenty seven. Yeah, sure. If, if that's if that's your standard, okay. Uh, let's let's. I'm going to say it is, Mark. That is my there, standard. That yeah. is that that bar is like you know subterranean. That 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 you just that you just set there. Um. So let's talk about Doc Ock and his appearance here, which is a teaser for Superior Spider Man. I mean, look. I mean, your mileage may vary. If you want to see Dan Slott writing Superior Spider Man again, it is only going to be a one issue. 
we just got what ended up being a really entertaining Doc Ock storyline that that while it teased the fact that he was still searching his memories, it, like the fact that he, he, you know, was once superior didn't really, I feel like, affect the outcome of the book as much, um, you know, or at least his characterization as much. Um, this is just going to lean right into it. He's like he's figured it out. What's going on? I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts here, Dan? Well, I'll correct you. It's not just one issue. Like we're getting that one one shot, but then the Spider-Man comic is being canceled and replaced with Superior Spider-Man as an ongoing. So, like, I'm just not excited about that. Um, I don't know, man. Like, this was fine, but like the whole ultimate equation that he's searching for to me just like reeks of secret scrolls. You know, like it's some weird. We've never heard of it before. MacGuffin, I, I I don't know. Like I I I'm gonna need a little bit more if I'm ready to like return to Superior after ten years. You know, like I I just this did not convince me that they have a really like cool story idea for why they're revisiting Superior. I'm gonna need more. So maybe I'm just cool on Dan Slott's work. You know, uh, I just I don't. I don't see an idea here yet other than like remember superior that was cool and that's just not enough for me in 2023 gotcha well you know in terms of things that we all universally love and adore in every corner of spider-man fandom we got this next story with mary jane and paul which was to tease the debut of jackpot MJ, you know, I think the big takeaway here more than anything else is that MJ and Paul share a bed. It's, it's a sad day, Dan. I don't know what else to say <laughs> than that, 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 that they share a bed. <laughs> well, I, I am glad that we at least are seeing, you know, some fallout from, you know, the the death of the kid, so to speak. I don't I, I'll just say it, I don't like this direction for the character. Like, I don't know why we needed to put her through losing children and and like here it really nails it down it's like no she's like allowing herself to grieve the death of two real people and it's like i just i don't know why that was the story we needed to tell with mj you know i guess the idea is that it's going to fuel her to become a superhero and be a part of her origin story but if that's the case i don't think that was earned either that being said i do think the writing in this is good you know um celeste bronfman who made her like appearance her first writing appearance in the world of spider-man in the annual she did the backup uh story with uh, aunt anna watson kind of like going crazy after the drugs from the hellfire gala were flipped anyway it's a whole thing with x-men i thought she did that story really well and to see her do this like i hope she's getting to write uh, i guess there's going to be a jackpot book i don't know yeah, I would imagine so. And maybe they're trying out this writer. I think she's got a real flair for like writing these characters in as unusual of a circumstance as they are in. I, I, I can't say this was like entertaining. It was mostly really dour and upsetting. But I was happy to see some follow up on a character I really care about. It's good to get I don't to, I wouldn't call it closure, but I, acknowledgement. This whole thing is just strange to me, and that's not even like coming from the 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 MJ and Paul of it all. I mean, like not not to sound like certain segments of fans, but like you know, I feel like with every passing issue or day, like it's 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 kind of like 
taking the original premise and conceit of this storyline and kind of just turning it into, well, no, MJ just kind of found another guy. That's, that's, that's the drama. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's not quite as um, star-crossed as I think it was originally setting up to. Be. Well, Paul, Paul is a non-entity. Like if he says anything here, like, you know, I can't remember it, you know, like, and, and yeah, I just, what are we doing with this character? Is he just going to exist? Like, wh- why are we doing all this to MJ? I still don't understand. Right. Yes. It definitely seems like we are walking her through trials and tribulations for, for what exact payoff we don't know. I mean, jackpot Speaking- is probably the payoff. Yeah. Which I mean, we'll see how long that lasts. And frankly, I hope it doesn't last long. I mean, like it could be fun for a couple of issues or a mini or whatever, but like the fact of the matter is like, you know, I forget who was saying this and when, but you know, we're like looking at like this supporting cast of Spider-Man's right now. And it's like, who doesn't have powers? And it's just a little weird right now. Like, can we, can we, can we stop? Can we just have some normies in this? And I don't mean Normie Osborn because he's got powers too. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did like the black cat, like friendship with MJ, which has been something that they've kind of slowly established again, something that I think worked best in a one shot and not, in an ongoing or mini series. And I, I thought that the final reveal image of jackpot was really lackluster, especially given like the artwork that we've seen from Humberto Ramos designing the character. Like that suit looked really cool. And here it's like, Oh, that's really ugly. Like that's what we're going with for the reveal of this character. Uh, just to move on to the, am I good to move on to the next? Yeah, go again? for it. Uh, yeah. So we, we got a tease for a new Spider-Man, a spider woman, series i gotta admit i i was not a huge fan of the last spider woman ongoing i you know i i really want to get back to those dennis hopeless era stories um i thought that was some of the best the character you know jessica drew has been you know i guess the one glimmer of hope here is it seems like her reuniting with her child is going to be the focus although there's still there still seems to be a bit of an edge and a darkness there but like I was a little hopeful for this. I, or, or, did you get any hope from it whatsoever? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know that we need another dark Spider-Woman series after the last one, which like I found, you know, kind of hopeless and kind of incomprehensible, like all of the mechanics of it. I like read it all, all the way through and was just like, I don't know that I understand what this is about. You know, if there's a really straight through line here of her trying to find her kid and there's some implications of Hydra, cool, that's a good place for Spider-Woman to exist. And maybe the hopeless run just exists on its own weird thing as wonderful uh, as it was. But I did get a lot. I did get some hope here. Like, I think, first of all, Borelli on the art, I think is it's beautiful. Like, these are really attractive looking pages. This is an artist that just came out of nowhere for me. And I want to see doing a lot more. This was great. And and the fact that, like, they foreground Captain Marvel's relationship with Spider-Woman is always a good thing. I think that's one of the best friendships in, like, uh, modern Marvel comics. I'll, I'll read anything that's about, like, Captain Marvel and Spider-Woman hanging out. I, there's a part of me for the next story. I kind of just want to get, like, a bucket of popcorn and, and watch you cook right now. Because like, so we, the next is the tease for the Spider Boy miniseries, Spider Boy, which is, you know, the, the, we all chanted and somebody listened. I don't know who chanted and I don't know who's listening, but 
you know, this is Dan Slott's prized creation on his adjectiveless Spider-Man series, which I got to be honest, has not been my jam. This is why I know it's not your jam, Dan. That's part of the reason why we just don't talk about it on this book. You alluded to it earlier with the superior Spider-Man. Like what is what is I mean, Dan Slott is just all over this line right now. Dan Slott, who, you know, essentially retired from Spider-Man like five years ago and, you know, after his big historic run, he's back doing these sidebar stories, which seem to have no tethering to anything significant yet seem to be getting the hype and, and, and adulation that you would expect out of like the main book. This I found this story incomprehensible, maybe because I just don't have any interest in the the, the deep cuts of Marvel about like, you know, people who create human you know uh human like animals i don't know what, what, what talk, here popcorn bucket go dan <laughs> i mean it's the stillwells right and we haven't really encountered this these two brothers in quite some time you know they created the fly and the scorpion you know so there is a, a tie back to you know early spider-man stuff right and we're meeting their mother for the first time and learning that like oh it wasn't just a fluke that these two brothers were interested in human animal hybrid people you know uh you know and, and there's implications here it reminded me actually of like Ezekiel talking about the totems like is it's weird that all of your enemies are are animal themed and here there's an implication oh no this reaches far deeper like rhino was trying to do what the stillwells wanted and I don't know. Like I, I mean, like create a list of things that don't get me excited about a character, and it's like human animal hybrids. As much as we beat up on the high evolutionary on our podcast, like, but then you get like this. Really, I hate to use the word masturbatory, but like, but we're gonna do it. <laughs> I'm gonna do it just because like. I didn't need to return to Regent and find out that one of Regent's aides was a Stillwell. Like I don't need to like mine more obscure Spider-Man history, like you know, and, and retcon larger impl impl implied things in the same way that he did Spider Verse. I I guess that the core of it is like I don't get what I see as like overhyped manufactured hype around spider boy and i'll and i'll admit when dan slot said order this comic i did like i ordered the variant cover introducing spider boy like i was like okay like dan slot has not really like steered me wrong when he says like i'm gonna introduce something that's gonna disrupt spider-man for good or ill i don't think he's ever like really not delivered on a promise whether i've liked them or not you know and I liked the Edge of Spider-Verse Spider-Boy story just fine. It was cute and I don't ever need to see that character again. I I don't get what the draw is to this character. It's this prolonged mystery and it's like just get to it. Like and maybe this is the closest we've gotten like oh, he's half spider, half boy, you know, which was my joking uh suggestion on Twitter to Dan Slot that you know, this was the spider that bit Peter Parker turned into a boy because it bit Peter Parker. And that's probably eat, eat not your hat, true, right? Yeah. Eat my yeah. shoe. Yeah. Dan is Dan has been saying, like, you know, I'll come on your show and watch you eat a shoe, you know. 
you know, people are buying this up. Great. And it's going to get its own series. I just don't get it. And this has, does not move me further in that direction. Like Paco Medina's art was beautiful, like cool human animal hybrid things. But like, this is another one of those, like I'm Dan Slott and I'm going to really lean into my own stuff so heavily and I'm just like I'm so disconnected from that like uh, I'm just I'm ready for him to move on from Spider-Man and instead I feel like we're just digging deeper trenches okay well done Uh, (laughs) I got nothing further to add I mean, we is Spider-Boy uh, working for you, Mark? Like, no, are you, no, no yeah. I, don't care, I don't care at all. I don't yeah. care at all. I, 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 I am almost ashamed to admit. I, so I did not buy any of the variants for Spider-Boy. I, I, you know, clearly, yeah, I mean, you're on Twitter far more than I am, especially. I mean, even back then you were on far more than I am. Um, I, I, but, I'm part of the problem is really what I'm admitting. But I mean, ahead. whatever. I, I mean, I've, I've look, I've deleted it from my phone, folks, and haven't looked back. That's all I'm going to say. It's 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 been it's been life affirming. The fact of the matter is I, I will buy this miniseries because it's like, well, a maybe I'll I'll start to understand it. Or like, hey, you know, I'll 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 buy it, and you know, ten years from now, it's gonna be like the number one book on like what is it like the 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 comic list top list or something like that. I don't know, you know what I mean? Like that's that's my standard now. It's like, oh well, you know, like I'll buy it. I'll buy it on the you know you know in my pull box now, and you know it'll be worth fifty bucks in five years. That's like kind of where I'm at with it. Like that's that's that is that is my level of giving a, a you know what about it. So well, well, that's what it is to me. This feels like the worst uh, like behaviors of the '90s, which is like artificially hyping something and then not delivering on it, and ultimately it's forgotten within a couple of weeks. You know, yeah, um, but the. But the fact of the matter is, like, the difference here is, like, you know, in the 90s when they did that, they produced a million copies of it. This is still, like, what? You know, going to touch, like, what? Like, 80,000 copies or something? Maybe, yeah. It's lucky, yeah. I just, I just like, look at this idea and it's like, okay, like, Miles Morales, the appeal of that character is obvious to me from the start. You know, it's like, and still, very few people bought Ultimate Fallout. And now that book is worth a crazy amount of money. You know, but that character had something really going for it. Like, I don't see, given the kind of like, we we got touches to Regent and like the Stillwells, like the obscurity of this to me, like seems like it's already a plateau for how much of a game changer this character could be for the Marvel Universe. I mean, in addition to this being, and you know, I know you don't like using it, but I don't have a problem using it. In addition to this being like typical slot masturbatory stuff, like I, I would also just like be remiss in mentioning like, like Regent and and human animals and stuff like that, and like the retconning, like early origin type stuff. Like these are like my least favorite isms of dance slot, if you will. You know what I mean? Like, 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 like. I, I I am far more intrigued by Superior Spider-Man because at least I find that to be a high point of his work than anything coming here. That's well, all. That, I that's how I felt about his new Spider-Man run. It's it's like indulging in all of the behaviors I like the least from Dan Slott. And and you know I know when I talked to him uh, for the show, he was lamenting the like bi-monthly schedule of Amazing Spider-Man. He's like, finally with my Spider-Man book, I get a monthly book. Although now he's taking on two books again. But he's like, I got a monthly book and I can really like 
put the work in, you know, and really focus on that. And I don't think it's, I think it's behaving the same way as all the stuff we didn't like about his volume three and some of volume four. So like, I think he he just writes these books this way and it just doesn't work for us. I know he has very many fans, so. Well, we're, 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 we're taking longer than we said we would, Dan. Let's let's rifle through certainly these next two stories because they're 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 inoffensively short. We got something about a, a person named Perry Thomas, who basically is like obsessed with being saved by superheroes. Fun read. Uh, got some good Human Torch Spider-Man interplay. Uh, I, you know, like, sure, we could, we could do another short about this guy. He's 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 rec rap rec rap level, right? Yeah, rap certified. I, I... I really liked this story. I thought it was just like fun and and light. Uh, the, the image of him looking at Daredevils like running away at the very end with that look in his eye was like I was like great. Like they, that that image sold me on the whole thing. Like cool. I like this. This is exactly the kind of backup thing that is fun and a unique idea that I don't even know that I need to revisit, but I would read a one shot about this guy, you know, like I, th- this is a fun look at the Marvel universe. Uh, then we got a story named uh, Lucy Goosey, which was about, uh, as the name implies, geese, cute, very inventory-ish, nice, nice art. Um, what, what, any, any further thoughts to it? It was dumb. It was cute. And if you've played Untitled Goose Game, I feel like that's where this spawned from. It's just like, Geese are agents of chaos, and uh, why don't we inject a goose into the world of Spider-Man? I don't know where that creative uh, spark comes from, but, you know, it was fun enough to read. Sure. So then the the penultimate uh, story in this one, we got a tease for the Spider-Man Last Hunt arc that's coming. Uh, and, and this was Patrick Gleason on art, right? I mean, Gleason, everything, you know, he can, he can, he could draw the phone book for me and I'd be into it. Um, but, but was there anything besides the art, anything you found uh, interesting here? <laughs> I mean, I kind of found this a bit incomprehensible to read. Maybe it's just me, but like, I felt like we were, we entered into a story like a page or two late, like red or queen, queen goblin is chasing Craven, but he's talking about how he's hunting her and then they make love. Uh, like I was like, what I, 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 do these characters have a history with each other that I wasn't really <laughs> aware of? It was fine. Like I love the details of like the claws on Craven's back from like the like post coital scratching and stuff like that. That was like an amusing visual, I guess. Uh, as weird as it is that Ashley Kafka's body is being made to do these things, like I don't know. I'm not gonna take like a uh, high minded take to say like this is sexual assault or whatever. Uh, then there's this whole idea of like the totems reborn. I didn't know what that was about, but I it seems like it's Spider Man becoming the Green Goblin and inheriting Norman's sins. That that's the image that I so maybe that's the premise of Spidey's Last Hunt is that he's gonna go evil or whatever. We'll see. But as a two pager, I was like, I don't really know what to make of this it it more than like let it it didn't really hype me more than it confused me uh, am i alone i got i didn't know what to uh, yeah no i i i you you sounds like you got even more out of it than i did i just was kind of caught up in the ew what is happening with craven and 
Queen Goblin. I don't want to see this. Like, it was just like, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be a prude, people, but it was just like, I I don't need this. What is this story? Well, it what felt we like, a, like a weird fever dream of, like, loose, disconnected images. I don't Which know. I that tracks. Stuff, it, yeah. It tracks with the characters, but I don't know. Like, I also, I also just, like, would like to continually remind people that Queen Goblin is a- Ashley Kafka. Which is like, yeah, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I just mean like, it's like, not, 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 people are going to think I'm like some kind of like Puritan here, Dan, but like, I'm just like, I don't think when I, when I think of sexualization, I don't think of Ashley Kafka. That's all I got to say. I mean, you know, like, um, and then finally, speaking of sexualization, (laughs) um, uh, radioactive sexualization and it's, and it's after effects, we got the teaser, for Spider-Man Reign 2, Lord have mercy on our souls, as I said earlier. I mean, like, Dan, we, you know, for, for, for those, for the uninitiated, which I can't imagine if you're listening to this on Patreon, you're one of them. But this is one of, I don't, I mean, would you describe it as one of your favorite or is, there, is it just that you enjoy it and I discernibly do not? Uh, I don't know that it's a favorite uh, yeah, I mean, I would put it in my top like fifty Spider-Man stories or something like that. I I I I really like it. I think it's a really interesting, you know, it's like one of my favorite Elseworld, what if Spider-Man stories. You know, like uh, it 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 feels like a coherent thought to me, and that 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 is something I like about it. Well, I I, I I do want to mention, Dan, because I don't, you know, and I'm not trying to promote myself on social media here, but if, you, if you've been going to my Instagram feed lately, uh, I've been kind of doing uh, in my stories, like little look backs to either old podcasts or blog uh, posts. Nine years ago, uh, the, the, on the night that we are recording this on August 14th, Dan, we did a review of Amazing Spider-Man Spiral uh, 20.1. And in the in the B section, I think I believe the 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 hatred for rain it first came out. So we are we are nine years to the day of Mark revealing that I I do not like this story, the original Spider Man Rain, and we don't have to get into it here. But um, with that said, I mean like the art is certainly you know Kari Andrews art is certainly super compelling here. I mean like I I just don't know. What story is left to tell here? But we're 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 it's it's happening apparently. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know what the story is either. I'm I'm intrigued like that they you know enough that they would get him back to do it again. It's funny because I found a tweet that I made of me just like begging for a rain too, and you know, and I and I and I'm like, oh cool, it it happened. Like, this was a real surprise for me. Like I kind of like was happy to see. Andrews get brought back into the fold recently because I think he's a very talented artist you know his style might not be for everybody he's kind of been doing some more like Marvel stuff over the past few years he did a book called Amazing Fantasy which I didn't like very much I will admit but I like the art a lot and some of the ideas in it so whether this will be a home run like I felt like Rain really tied a bow on on things this was this was really I I brought a smile to my face because I like the story so much but it, it did feel like a weird like appendix to to this otherwise fairly coherent issue do we want to grade this whole mammoth thing Dan sure yeah I mean it's tough because it's it's such a variety yeah go ahead what, what are you gonna give it well I, I would say I, I I'm, I'm gonna do it like this Dan so I I the 
the main story for me is a B plus. Um, I think all of the ancillary stuff is like a C minus for me. So I, I'm, you know, I'm gonna not gonna average them together per se because I think it's heavily weighted towards the main story. So I'm gonna give overall a B. I think that's that's good. I think I'm really hot on the main story. Like I think it's like A A minus territory. The only thing that keeps me out of that is like the repetition of the issue 583 like just that i've seen that story before so like i think i'm in like the a minus b plus territory with you and again i agree c minus c for the backups is you know in terms of backups i think it's pretty high like normally i would give backups like d d minuses you know like this i feel like is the first ten dollar book that i got my money's worth from so yeah i i think i'm gonna give it a, a b as well Excellent. Well, on that note, Dan, it's that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this podcast exists because of listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same weeks the comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. Thank you again to everybody who already supports us and the work that we do, but we wanted to issue a special thank you and welcome our newest patron, Scott. But I wanted to add a, another note to this, which is, Patreon decided for some reason that they were going to change how they charge people's credit cards and they moved it to like Ireland or something like that just so they could like maybe save money. And it caused a big problem on the Patreon that made us lose about 20% of our patrons. So if you're someone that uh, at one point was a patron and found it canceled on you, come back and join us. We would love to have you back. It, It was a, technical error on patreon's behalf um and uh yeah help us spread the word about um what went wrong at patreon and and getting people back into the fold yeah actually one of the one of the patreons that i subscribe to i I got yeah so it's it's real folks it's not we're not just saying that to uh cover our numbers uh for all you internet conspiracy conspiracy theorists uh to download our earliest episodes including interviews with legendary creators like jan demateus tom defalco ron france mark bagley david michelini and many more subscribe to our amazing spider talk back issues podcast on apple podcasts This podcast episode was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, now that we've successfully avoided talking about what really happened during my bachelor party, enough to throw our wives off the scent, what's our motto? I mean, is it like with great podcasts come the meat sweats? Because that's what I remember about your <laughs> Yeah, I do remember that too, yeah. Uh, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next episode.